Come on. Hello and welcome and happy new year to another episode of Dynamite and Eddie. It's the Retro Games Podcast where a couple of old pals get together and talk about a couple of old games. The voice you're hearing just now is myself, Mick Clockerty. Joining me as always, we have Mr Andy Mack. Jewa, happy new year. And Mr Mick McCormick. Hello. Hey lads, what's been happening? What he's been up to? What he's been playing? Uh, okay, I've been playing a lot, man. I've been playing a lot. Obviously, we're in lockdown again. Bastard. But, uh, man, I've been getting right into... i tell you what, right? I know that you're right into Pokemon. Yes. Uh, well, I'll tell you what, man. You're, you're going to face some competition because you're sitting in the presence of um, a future Pokemon master. I've been <laughs> playing... You're on Gen 3, I believe, aren't you, aye? It's Gen 3, but there's a lot of old faces. Your Oddishes, your fucking Pikachus, man, they're all in it. It's, um, it's to be expected here, just because it's a... Other than 5, which is the outlier, just because it's a new generation of Pokemon, Disney mean all you're going to see is a new Pokemon. You will have all your old favourites, usually. There must be about a thousand of them now. But there was a... In the news recently, there was a, a, a fascist Pokemon, and they had to take it off. What? <laughs> Oh, Andy, you're, you're, you're going to need to elaborate on this. I hadn't. This is one that passed me by. What's his name? Kadabra or something? Right. Kadabra the Pokemon. He or was... Something, ADSS one or something. Ah, right, okay, well... Oh, yeah, I can see it. <laughs> he was also... Yuri Geller took the Pokemon company uh, to court ah, in the it. 90s over... Uh, Kadabra and Alakazam because Yuri Geller said that Pokemon's bending spoons. Basically, <laughs> uh, bending spoons is my thing. It's, pra- it's my whole act. <laughs> it's my trademark. So fuck you, pay me. Um, and Pokemon laughed at him. I don't think he got any money. <laughs> What's this got to do with fashion? <laughs> he, he didn't foresee that. If you look at a picture of him, um, on his belly there's a pattern and it kind of looks like the SS logo. It's all like three bit rashes of bacon. It's, it's kind of it's a bit subjective. The DSS got an extra S or something like that. Aye. It's three waves. Aye. Um, I mean, they banned, they banned Jinx, which fair, fair play. Oh, aye, they, aye, aye, they, recolored, they recolored Jinx, yes. Aye, you've got to watch that. Instead of Dragon Ball Z, you get one of them, do you? Mr. Popo. Popo. Aye, yeah, they had to get rid of him. I don't know. I don't know. If they did, I, don't, I don't know if Japan's that um, sort of diverse, so... Perhaps maybe they just made a wee blooper. Right, so we've got um uh, anecdote about Nazis and um <laughs> the ethnic demographic of Japan. Uh, and I was expecting you to talk about what gyms you'd been fighting in that, to be honest. Um, Aye, so Pokemon Emerald, right? Um, I started that off. It's the first sort of Pokemon game I've played since uh, days of nineteen ninety eight. Oh, the bleak days, <laughs> <laughs> soap shoes, etc. Sitting with my soap shoes on, my biscuit CD on, playing Pokemon Blue, I think it was. But I remember, uh, right, alright, just bleep the name out, but I remember we used, <laughs> I used to go and stay at his man. Uh, stay at whose? His house, man, I used to go to his house all the time. Whose Five minutes in. <laughs> Continue the story. But, uh, so, uh, he would, uh, he had a Game Boy Color. At the time, they were just, they were kind of cutting edge at the time, man. And I thought it was cool, but I couldn't afford any of that. I had that in 64 for about 100 years. And uh, he had fucking everything, all mod cons, man. He had a full box set, only fools and horses and everything. 
but I remember fucking. <laughs> oh, I that was that would have really made you the fucking envy of the playground. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen all the fucking granddad episodes and the Uncle Albert episodes, man. They can't can touch me. <laughs> it's like the Encyclopedia Britannica. You buy it, it's like a kind of status symbol. <laughs> <laughs> I the blue Pokemon, a blue Game Boy Color, the Pokemon Blue. They've probably got it on a deal or something. Uh, so sitting playing that, I remember pure enjoying it, man. But I remember that you were you grew up with RPGs, I never. So this was like one of the first RPGs, I suppose, I've ever played the Japanese RPGs. It's probably a lot of folks' introduction in the genre. Yep, I, I I, very, very much. And I mean, Pokemon Red and Blue are the perfect uh, baby's first RPG, probably. Aye, and they're pretty good that way. If I just getting an introduction into them, like, and then so we played. I played a lot of Bleepsus. But you know what else? No, there was a. Do you know what was a Pokemon fucking hotbed, man? Do you remember in school you used to get a wet play? Aye. Well, see, as soon as a wet play came out, do you remember that in P7 we were on monitors and that? Basically, it was like training you to be a leader. They used to let you go and watch younger classes. Remember? And you could write people's names in the blackboard and that if they were out of line and shit, remember? Vaguely? Aye. Mike didn't have enough respect for authority to be given that, that position. <laughs> I, I, I was going to say, I don't think they let me do that. <laughs> so, when I was doing that, man, fucking, you could, well, everybody was playing Pokemon. That's so what, I, I, I forgot all about it. And then, obviously, new phones get these emulators with the feedback buttons. They're a wee bit easier to use for emulation. Um, I played Pokemon Emerald, and it was basically just the next step from the old Pokemon experience. It's pure addictive. That's one of the main things I remember. I remember it being very, very addictive, man. Like, you put it down and then all you think about is like, oh, I'll just do one more fucking... I'll just level him up a wee bit, man. Aye. One more battle, one more battle, one more battle. But the game moves that fast, man. That like, one more battle, like, it only takes about 20 minutes to complete a tune in a gym. What I wanted to know was, um, the last time I spoke to you, you had about four four slots in your team that were kind of definites. Have you expanded your team any further? Um, no, I've stuck mainly with five. Right, who you got? Right, all right, so I've got... Uh, hold on, give me two seconds. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you would have loved their Pokemon like your own lanes, man. I thought you would have known other names. Well, so, uh, and Andy, Andy does not give them nicknames, which I find uh, strange. Giving them nicknames is part of the crack for me. Aye, uh, I'm real dear. I'm real dear when I play it again. Eh, uh, right, here we go. Right, okay, so. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> right, so right, okay, here we go. Right, ready? So, number one, I've got Azamaru, right? Yeah, I've big, had him since he was a wee boy, man. Big baby. chunky water boy, good. He's a good cunt. Aye, comes in handy in this game, I've noticed. He's got this class move called Surf, man. Just sort of let's say over water and shit. And it takes like, fucking things out of the game as well. I like surf. And he's got this move called Water Gun too, it's quite powerful, man, against certain types of Pokemon. I quite like him. Um but I liked him before he molted too, but I like post molt as a man. He's good. <laughs> One of the best bits about this game is that your your Pokemon molt and become different. Um, the term you're looking for is evolution. Yeah, I mean, in 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 the game and uh, everywhere else, uh, Pokemon evolve. But I guess right. on this this podcast now, they they molt. <laughs> Pikachu <laughs> molts into Raichu. Metapod molts into Butterfree. It's the most natural thing in the world. So I've got Harry Hammer. Harry Hammer, who was 
somebody else as well. I can't remember something about hitting major hit or something, but he's original name. He's a wee yellow fat thing. I can't mind what his name is. Uh, um, but he original. is a, a fighting Pokemon, a fighter. Um, and basically, see that shooting water and shit. He's just got like, brawls and stuff. I've got Loudred, who's a funky wee character. Loudred's quite good because a lot of the like, status attacks don't really affect him too much. Like, there's been times where people have. But other Pokemon have shot with things, noisy things and that, and it says the noise doesn't affect loud, it seems to be quite deflective. Aye, uh, it can't be put to sleep or something like that, that's, that's maybe his, his ability or something. Quite good luck. Um, Combusking, who I've had since he was me tall's chick, he was my first Pokemon. He's good, man, he's got a good He's got a good move called uh, Double Kick, that I like. So Andy, Andy has gone for the fire starter of Pokemon Emerald. Twisted fire starter. Oh, I forgot Hariyama. He's got a good move called Arm Thrust, where he just smacks him sometimes up to five times. Can take mm. enemies out by that one move, man. And then I've got my favourite. Uh, my wee favourite, man. He's not the most powerful. He's not the best, but you know what? I like him. I like him, man. And that's Sandslash. Oh! I quite like him. Uh, Can we soft spot for Sandslash? Aye. Ah, Dave, a day, mate, a day, to be honest. Was he your favourite when you were a youngster as well? Because he, he dates all the way back. I quite liked, aye, Sandshrew I liked, man. I had a wee figure of him when I was well, younger. Well, Sandshrew uh, molts into Sandslash, so he does. Ah, yes, I suppose, man. <laughs> uh, but I've gave Sandslash a move, is it, man? I gave him a new move. It's fucking dino, man. What you want on him is Earthquake. If you find a TM for Earthquake, fucking hit mm-hmm. him up with it. Right. Okay, though, I'll keep an eye out for that. Well, oh, what is it? Slash is good. I've got Swift, Scratch and Defence Curl. But I know the way I play this game, right? I know you're into my status moves. Man, I'm just, I just go for attack. Anything that can take fucking HP off the other guy. But now I'm realising as I get deeper into the game, I'm fighting Pokemon that you can't do that, eh? Because they use a thing called Predict. They use a, they use a move called Predict. And it means that you can't attack him. Any ah. conventional stuff, you've got to like, poison them or you've got to put them to sleep first. Is it hypnotic Pokemon or psychological Pokemon or something they're called? What they call psychedelic, what they call psychic. Psychic Pokemon, that's it. Yeah, uh, they're quite hard to beat. With Pokemon, your best bet is I, I don't use the buffs and things that much. I tend to just try and teach everything a really fucking strong move and then try to have my team balanced in such a way that I can fucking just take out anything that comes against me in fucking one hit because I've got their exact weakness. Uh, I find a lot of satisfaction in having a balanced team just to do that. I can see why you would do that. I've tried to do that to just keep up a wee balance of different kind of rock, paper, scissors types. But I'm off just about to go to Mount thing, me. I've just done the Bud Dungeon. Um... The flying dungeon. So How many badges Lillico, you got? I'm in Lillico City. I've got five badges. Right, six, so... Five, six, is it? Six badges I've got. No, I'm two to go, and you're, you're ready for the league. Aye. I've got, I'm in Lillico City, and I'm getting the... Oh, I mean, for, for anybody interested, we did the, a fucking episode on Pokemon Emerald back in the day. Did we, actually? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in your fucking house. <laughs> oh, fuck, eh? <laughs> I'll tell you what, it's... Is this one of the better ones, aye? Because I can, it's really well designed, this one. I mean, it's just uh, it's just what you like. It's good to look at, I think. It's I, like very, a, I like that graphical style as well. I like it's the... It's very cute, man. It's a... It's it. There, there was uh, remakes of Red and Blue that were made in the in that same style for the Game Boy Advance, and they're, they're great. It really reminds me of Earthbound, man. Hmm. Pure. 
Like the nice and colourful in it. Design, aye. Well, um, Hal Laboratories, uh, there's, there's links between Earthbound and Pokemon, man. Ah, you can see That's it. why they're both in uh, Smash Brothers and that. McCormick, what have you been playing yourself? Aye, so I've been, um, I don't know if I would say playing, more like dealing with an addiction or an obsession <laughs> with Crusader Kings 3. Aye. So I got that, um, it's not the Xbox Game Pass, but it's like the kind of PC version of Xbox Game Pass, which isn't as good, it's not getting as wide a selection, but this one came up for free, and I'd heard kind of good things about the second one, the third one just came out, so I'd say to check it out. The best way I can describe it is like, it's like Fitbit Manager, except instead of a Fitbit team, you're managing like a kind of a royal dynasty in the Middle Ages. But all this fucked up horrible stuff. This, this is Crusader Kings three is the reason why uh, McCormick has been popping up in a group chat saying things like, "Oh no, my pope's a cannibal." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, you get some, you get some like, good stories out of it, um, which is kind of what I like about it because it's all about the, the characters. You know that you're um, your fucking kings and uh, princesses and dukes and you're like your your spy masters and stuff like that. I guess kind of like like your your players and your and your football manager team, everyone's got different stats and different traits and stuff like that. Um, and you kind of try and use those to your advantage. You're trying it's to like Baldur's Gate type of game. It's I don't know. It's called a grand strategy game, but it's kind of got RPG elements because, like this one especially, because it's it's even more so about the actual characters you're playing as. Like depending on whether your um, you know your your characters get you know skills with like deception and stuff like that, or if they're skilled on the battlefield. You get sort of different events and different wee kind of storylines that happen. All the characters in the games have got relationships with each other, like whether they like each other or hate each other. It's not an open world RPG. It's um, it's no, closer uh, to what you would call a teletext, Andy. I think. Ah, uh, yeah. uh, it all takes place on a big map, basically. Um, big map, uh, ancient, <laughs> ancient Europe, and some of the, some of the Middle East and some of Asia. But uh, you kind of just sort of set your own goals for you, um, what you want to do. So, like, my, I basically. I started off as a tutorial. It's like this um, minor lord in Ireland. There was a lot of limerick, I think. You kind of set your own goals, but I decided I was going to um, slowly try and take over Britain, make Britain a, basically a, a vassal of Ireland uh, with Irish culture. Um, and then once that's finished, just to see what happens, uh, I'm going to convert to Islam. Um, so they'll have an Islamic, Islamic Britain or the borders of Europe and we'll see how the Pope deals with that one. Because religion's an element as well. Like, you know... Um, if you're, depending on your religion, your characters can do different things, you know, maybe they can have multiple wives, you know, or maybe they can get divorced and stuff like that, or different religious tenets, and you've got to keep on the right side of your leader, which is the Pope in this case, so it could prove interesting. One of the, I don't know how this has happened, but like, most of the population of Wales in my game are this religion called Adamites, and Adamites, I think this was a real thing, but they um, apparently, they believe that we should all go back to how Adam and Eve were um, in the Garden of Eden before original sin and nowhere any clades. Sounds like um, a lot like Khmer Rouge, man, in Cambodia. Real <laughs> zero. Aye. So, so when you click on these countries and see their leaders, everyone's in the buff. Like, you've got the, the kings wearing a fucking fig leaf and his he's wife's he's, are paps out. <laughs> They've got their own <laughs> religious tenets. Um, but I, like, yeah, if the people living under you have a different religion for you, then they kind of... They get angry and they might want to they might want to overthrow you and stuff. Are you gonna move the capital to Donegal, thereby cementing <laughs> your proud Donegal man status <laughs> on the game? I think I could I think I could do that right now, actually. <laughs> maybe a maybe a shout. Um, What's the Scots like in it? What are the Scots like in it? A good bunch? A hardy bunch? 
Um, well, I've, I've had a few fights with the Scots, oh, um, just because they're obviously they're on my um, they're on my borders. Um, they full of mead. I know mead. They, they uh, Scotland. They've got to go to England to pick up their mead and stuff because mead doesn't in actual Scotland. Aye, but they've they've done they've done quite good in the game. Sometimes they've managed to take bits of England. They're kind of um, bits of Norway and that. But um, my, my favourite king is a kind of rival of mine, um, guy called King King Lulach. His name was I don't know, an old Pictish name or something. Lulach. Um, I. Basically, but the, the characters I play are usually good at deception, so instead of like, winning on the battlefield, I try to do underhanded shit, like, you know, trying to like, fabricate secrets about people and get them to do, do their bidding, blackmail, ah. um, abduction. You can win wars if you like abduct the enemy, enemy's heir rather than actually doing any fighting, so you can win a war without you know, getting a single soldier. But I was trying to find out some secrets about King Lulak and I found out that he was gay. Um, and if I'd, I'd let that secret out, then the fucking he would get excommunicated, and the Pope would have him on side. Oh, I would break this. Uh, I use that to basically get some oh, um, to wrestle some some stuff off him. Um, well, it came a long way. Tim Gulick would be alright nowadays as well. Ah, you know, born born at the wrong time. Um, but I, like it's the kind of basics of it is like you know you're you're kind of managing your um, your kingdom like. Um, if you if you want to invade somewhere, you can't just send your army in. You've got to um, you've got to fabricate a claim or a claim somehow. So he's like, I'm actually the rightful ruler of Ayrshire, fucking like all of Wales or whatever. You know, so you can either get your bishop to like look at the old books and then find out that through some family tree you're related, or you can you can get somebody that's got a claim and win them over, give them gifts, and become a pal, and then they'll come into your court. And then you can kind of fight in their behalf. So I've kind of won over most of Britain that way. You know, just go on like a, a religious or political crusade and be like that. The Welsh are fucking naked. This is fucking disgusting. <laughs> I'm sending my heavies in to sort them out and give them Catholic. I, you actually, you actually can. Like, um, that's, I guess, where the name of the game came from is that the Pope can call you on a crusade or whatever your religious leader is can call you on a crusade. But that could be against any country with a different religion that's hostile to yours. But if you have enough like piety and um, enough kind of sway with the Pope, the Pope says, I want to go on a crusade, you can say, well, maybe instead of invading Jerusalem, you could invade, like, Finland? Or fucking, like, because they're pagans over there, and, you know, maybe that's in your interests for fucking to sow a bit of chaos in Finland, so you can make that happen. Um, the thing that I quite like is, um, I've, at the first crusade um, that I went on, um, I sent quite a lot of soldiers and uh, I kind of did some hit and run tactics and ended up being the sort of most successful of all the nations in the crusade. So the Pope basically said, I'm going to make your brother, um, your Irish brother, fucking Seamus, uh, the king of Syria. So he's, he became the king of Syria um, it, like, generations later. You've got, um, <laughs> he's had loads of wins, they've been quite successful. Most of the Middle East has like kings called um, Seamus O'Brien and like Finn, Finns. <laughs> Sounds like uh, the Irish were a lot better than Scotland at Cabo Nevers, isn't it? Yeah, they've done pretty well, so it's like. Oh, in, in, in this fictional game universe, yes, I'd, I don't think you had fucking Brian Baru of fucking Iraq um, in, in the real world history books, to be honest. Like. Yeah, so like, um, so now because, because they're dynasty members of mine and they're like related by blood. If I want to go to war with like the Holy Roman Empire or fucking Scotland, I can say you can invite um like King Brian for Lebanon, um, or you can invite like fucking King Connell from like 
Iran <laughs> for that, and they'll turn up with these Irish names and other Irish families, but they're wearing the traditional dress, they're wearing big turbans and that. <laughs> I love that, I love that branch of my family. Hi, <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's really good, Steve. It is a wee bit like fucking spreadsheet simulator <laughs> in some ways that, that um, I did probably describe it, but there's some of that depth to it, man, so I can see why folk can kind of play it forever. I've been playing for ages just as this Irish king, but when I'm done, I might end up being a king. A Viking um, back in the tribal days, or I might be like, you know, somewhere in North Africa or something, and that's a whole different experience. Uh, sounds like sounds like you sit there at a laptop with like, a tunic and a, a, a figurative crown on, just kind of pure role play. You're that, man. <laughs> Adia, and football manager, man. Like, uh, this is this is a famous uh, Andy Mack putting a fucking tie on if you're playing a cup <laughs> final. Is this is this what you're alluding to? Ah uh, well, you hear about it all the time. Like, <laughs> they, they pants just a fucking suit. <laughs> I haven't yet put on like the fucking white tunic with a red cross on it when I'm going on crusade. I think that might be a bit inappropriate. <laughs> Aye, so McCormick, why did you pick uh, Descent for myself? Right, so I should qualify this because I've I've done I've done something. I'm going to say that you've been flanked a wee bit with this one <laughs> because oh. when I was in. Maybe not quite as bad as um, as the the his namesake, but um, when I was we I did have a game PC game in the nineties where you ride in a wee spaceship and you could do many uh, corridors and destroy bases and then try and escape. And that game was Terminal Velocity. It wasn't Descent. But I mean, you have just described Descent there as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If you done a if you done a me and the uh, exactly flink. But- I picked the Adventures of Flink when I really should have picked uh, Marvel Land. Well, the, yeah. the, the aptly named the fucking Misadventures of Flink, I think you'll find it. Um, um, but I think in, in this occasion, um, you're fortunate enough that most people would generally say that the same is the better game. So I, it's, I feel it's just an area we've maybe not covered, you know, kind of PC gaming around about this time was, was a bit of a different beast for, for console gaming. Um, I think you could probably safely say it was merely a fucking the domain of nerds, some of the games you had on the PC. Strategy games were big, RPGs were big. Um, the first-person shooter was a big thing. We've already had any first-person shooters, so just not, not even the, the game itself so much, but I thought it'd be interesting to just kind of take a dip into that, that kind of world that we've, not, we've maybe not visited so much. In Descent, like, I think we've probably all played your, your Wolfensteins, uh, Duke Nukem, Doom and the like, um, but Descent has a wee twist on it. It adds a kind of 3D element, so it would be something a wee bit different. I've got to admit, this kind of took me right back to 90s, in particular sitting in my wee cousin's gaff. He had a, he had, he had a decent PC, um, we didn't have a PC quite as, as young as when he did, but I remember going to his house and playing the PC, and now that I think on it, quite a lot of it was spaceship games. You know, fucking X-Wing versus TIE Fighter, Wing Commander, I all this other kind of stuff. Quite a lot of the PC in my early memory is you're flying something about shooting at other things. <laughs> That's another quite kind of nerdy obsession, like you know, learning the controls of a fucking fictional, um, fictional spaceship or just a plane. That flight yeah. simulator game. Mech Warrior was a good one for that. I used to like those games, and they were pretty complicated. But you would build your mech and fucking um, be like have all sorts of complex controls for cutting about with it. Yeah. I don't think I was very good at it, but I was fascinated by the notion of it. 
that was another one of the fucking lineup at Moby Cousins, man. Mech Warrior Two. Um, I have not thought about that game in decades. Um, <laughs> Need a degree to fucking control anything. I couldn't do it. <laughs> I think I liked making them, and then it would just fucking blow up or whatever. <laughs> so, my first kind of foray into Descent, or should I say my first Descent into it, <laughs> haha, I was very hopeful in seeing Interplay flash up on the screen. Interplay, of course... Uh, created Fallout, the very first Fallout game, um, and I think they also published Baldur's Gate. So, in terms of your probably, again, hyper-nerd PC kind of market of the 90s, Interplay are, fuck it, you know, they're kind of like rare with the N64 or something like that. They were known for putting out decent quality, I think, guy. The other kind of thing that got me in was, okay, first of all, you're presented with a fucking... Uh, outside view of this mining colony in space and it looks like fucking Deep Space Nine or Alien 3 or fucking I don't know Outland with Sean Connery it's Babylon it's 5 I, it looks like space but kind of gritty and then you, you get your opening kind of I say cutscene it's a it's a picture of a guy and there's dialogue over it there's this company bureaucrat from like a, a giant mining conglomerate that owns fucking all of the mining interests in space, and he's giving you your mission briefing. But what I quite liked about it is you get the protagonist's kind of inner monologue while this is going on, and he is just completely fucking hard-nosed and cynical. Right. Like um, he, he talks about wanting to punch the guy in the face, and he uses all this kind of funny sci-fi jargon, like um, some fighter jocks worship their hardware, but I'm not the religious type. Um, <laughs> so so I, I quite enjoyed that kind of cheesy, uh, I would call it hard-boiled sci-fi. Um, it kind of reminded me of the, uh, the Albert Carbon series, that sort of thing, where you've got this yes. no-nonsense mercenary protagonist, and kind of like yeah. and stuff like that. So, so I mean, I, I very much enjoyed that. Um, I would have quite like what I might do is um, because spoiler alert, I got to level two in this, so I didn't get a deep um, a deep exploration of the the you know the themes and the the, the overall plot. Um, I don't know whether he goes against the corporation. I'm, I'm certainly hoping he does. So I enjoyed the writing, what little of it I saw, because although I think this is not a bad game. And I think graphically, um, it holds up quite well, actually. And the music is good. It's not the best for playing with a trackpad on a laptop. I mean, I probably should have known that from the word go. Oh, shit, I didn't even, I didn't even think that, because I've got a mouse that I can plug in and it was all right. I guess at this point in time, like, first-person shooters were a thing, but the the mouse in WASD controls like they were, they were standard now that wasn't the case at the time like they hadn't really they hadn't really figured out that that's the most comfortable way to sort of play a 3D game in this one like you're it kind of is a, it's more a first person shooter than a, than a flight sim like it's not particularly um, you know complex in terms of um, controls it's just a wee bit unusual the, the unusual point being there's, I don't know what you would call it. I mean, you're piloting a drone, right? That's the conceit of it. You're this mercenary and you pilot drones to kill these kind of evil invasive robots that are pissing off the mining company or something. But yeah, you're, you're essentially piloting a drone through these kind of claustrophobic mining tunnels to right. kill these enemy robots. But the thing about it is you can... You can end up fucking tipping yourself upside down quite easily, or <laughs> it, it, 
you can fly up walls and on the roof and things like that. It, it gets quite a kind of MC Escher perspective when you get lost, I think. Aye, uh, they talk about, like, I think that it's called a Six Degrees of Freedom shooter, which, like, it's not, it's, it's a bit of a micro genre. There wasn't very many, there wasn't very I'm, many I'm wondering if, it, if the people that made this game um, were involved in making the, do I play Forsaken by Acclaim? It was on everything. It was on, I think there was a N64 PC port, there was a PlayStation port, Basically, exactly the same as Descent. You're in like a, you're in like a labyrinth, and uh, you're just you're about like, shooting things in a sort of tank or whatever it is, or a spaceship. It's exact. The games look very similar, and I remember playing Forsaken and not really liking it. I think I'm a fan of these games too much, but I've not seen it. But it looks, it looks fairly, fairly similar. Um, Actually, Andy, I think you might get on all right with this one. Maybe not like it more than me, but maybe be better at it. Just going by your fucking uh, Star Fox skills. <laughs> I'm not the best at these. Um, I was pleased that I didn't get grannied. What I guess for any of our non-Scottish listeners, getting grannied is when you're playing somebody at pool and they beat you and you have not pot a single ball. So the, the gaming equivalent of that is making no progress in the game. I think if you don't even beat one level, I think a game has grannied you. Yeah, it finds a lot of robots that you kind of shooting at you and you're usually like surrounded by them. And as Mike said, you can kind of, because you can kind of control in like three dimensions, like you've usually got baddies above you and below you and like tilt from all angles. <laughs> it's been quite difficult to kind of like, um, you know, to kind of have the, the sort of like shooting skills and the, the grip of the controls to um, yeah, get past some of them. But I think once you, you get a kind of array of weapons, there's like a couple of different sort of laser beams which don't run out of um, power, and then you've got some missiles which are limited. This is what I was saying to you on the chat earlier, and because I was thinking about the old days and playing fucking X-Wing and TIE Fighter and that at my wee cousin's house, he had a, a plug-in fucking joystick like you know they kind of flight simulator ones Aye. and it had a kind of trigger on it and stuff like that see I, I was playing descent and i was like see if i had one of they fucking things man this would be amazing Aye, that would be ideal because like, i think that the controls are kind of you can see it's kind of set up that way where you can do like um kind of p- pitching you and stuff like that i'm not like you know that's like it's like moving over in a certain axis yes um, that is very difficult to do with just like a keyboard and a mouse but we keep we with the kind of fancier joysticks, you could you could do all that stuff like you would be able to do in a plane. Um, so I imagine if you get kind of good at it, it would feel quite satisfying. I did quite like mo- moving about the spaceship, but I wasn't. I don't think I was skilled enough to be like particularly good at it. More so than the the kind of moving about and shooting. What I found myself struggling with was that just navigating the levels because it's like it, it's like kind of three D labyrinth. And I've maybe kind of said before that I don't think my spatial awareness is very good. I just found myself going around in circles quite a lot, like because yes, because um, it's like I, you know there's corridors going up and down and left and right and back back and forwards. <laughs> like you try to find the right place to go can be quite tough. I I ended up in a fucking K hole, man. I was <laughs> I was flying I was flying along this corridor and going like that. Um, right how. Right, I, I fly down here, and then I was flying through this other tunnel section, and I was like, right, but don't go that way, that way leads me around in a circle, so I would go the other way, and it would lead me back to that same corridor, and then no matter what I was doing, it was leading me around in a circle, and I was like, <laughs> this is making me feel <laughs> sick, man, this is fun. <laughs> yeah, probably not a good one to recommend to somebody that's getting vertigo or getting motion sickness. <laughs> yeah, it, it does the kind of, um, the thing that you got for the old, pretty much every first-person shooter until Half-Life, where you 
we go and collect a key card and that would let you in another bit and then you collect another key card and that would let you in the next bit of the level um, but the, the thing you've got to do in this game slightly different for other kind of FPSs is once you get to the kind of core of the, the mine there's like this kind of generator and you've got to destroy the generator but once that's done you've got to then escape to the mine so you've got to kind of be able to backtrack your way with it when there's a timer going off and make your way to the emergency exit and then kind of fuck off that way um, so you need you need to kind of like if if you've just stumbled about aimlessly uh, through the level and eventually stumbled across the the generator, it's like right fuck the alarm's going off. How the fuck do I come back? Aye, plays a wee cool scene of you flying out as the mine explodes as well when you Aye. do it. I think games have gotten better at this, like uh, FPS games, like the way they kind of like design the environment, like you know, kind of signposts telling you where to go and that. Like I think that's quite important. They hadn't quite mastered that at the time. I just remember like you know playing like Half Life Two or something, like as much takes leaps and bounds. Like that just looks like you're in a kind of normal part of a city or something. But there's the levels kind of subtly guiding you and telling you where to go and that. Whereas with this, it's just like corridor after corridor. Well, if you if you looked about in Half Life, if you were fucking exploring a lot, sometimes you could find like massive shortcuts in that. Like uh, it, it didn't really block you. Um, I guess that's why they called. I mean, the the old name for an FPS was a Doom clone, wasn't it? Because uh, that that was how it it held you back. It was find the key card, and then you can get more map. Basically, I mean, they helped me the game. I I quite liked it. I guess my my final thoughts on it would be. I would recommend it if you like these kind of games. If you've got a bit of nostalgia for, you know, piloting someone about and shooting it. Although, with the caveat being, rather than the kind of grand theatre of space at your disposal, plenty of room to fly about in. This is very kind of claustrophobic. It's a gritty game. The kind of music reflects that. The writing reflects that. And don't try to play it with a laptop trackpad. Uh, (laughs) If you've got some kind of peripheral to plug in, fucking... It's uh, it's probably a great play. Uh, did you, did you have anything further to say on it? I should just um, give a bit of a shout out to the the music. I would recommend the game if you like like Detroit techno or kind of like um, <laughs> sort of nineties electronic music because I definitely get that kind of vibe for it. You're pounding kick drums and bass and that. One of the weird things with the, the PC around this time was that like you could get all different sound cards and they would all sound like very different to each other. But like, the, the tunes would sound completely different from one card to the next. It would go all the way for like fucking bleeps and bloops on a kind of cheaper older card to like stuff that sounded almost like real instruments. So if you're a kind of nerd for soundtracks and you like fucking old PC games, there's like you know you can listen to like five different versions of the same thing and find your favourite one. <laughs> um, so I was quite liking hearing those fucking pounding electronic beats. <laughs> quite like that. It was it was one of the more enjoyable elements of it. I, I the graphics are like I. I mean, I think you kind of love or hate early 3D graphics. I'm, a, I'm quite fond of them. Um, but yeah, it's definitely a lot of big big triangles and big <laughs> fucking pixels. Um, but kind of looks kinda... like a fucking minigame for Deus Ex or something like that. <laughs> it does. Shall we move on then to our next game of the evening? Yes. Uh, right. Andy, the reason I picked uh, Super Mario Land for yourself, although, let's be honest, you've played it and fucking every cunt and their grands played it. The rules have gone a bit lax over the past year or two in this podcast, but it's fine. I, I just wanted to talk about it because as, you know, fucking Britain or Scotland, we were a, a nation of fucking cunts who had the Commodore and the Amiga and then pretty much everybody moved on to Sega. Not a big fucking Nintendo contingent. 
Generally, oh, I would had say. Game Boys, mind you, didn't they? That's, it was well, went to Game Boys or Well, this is my point. But the outlier being Game Boys were relatively fucking uh, plentiful. A lot more people had a Game Boy than had a Game Gear. I would say, arguably, for most people that I know, this was their first introduction to Super Mario and the first Mario game they played, probably. And I've always found that it holds up pretty fucking well. Um, this is one I go back to every couple of years. My uncle gave us up one of the really old Game Boys, the fucking brick that he had um, when he lived down in London. He gave us that up with a couple of games to fuck about with, and of course that came with Super Mario Land, um, and we we used to fucking love it. And I, I, as I say, I, I still quite like it. It's, it's one of the few ones that I've managed to complete as well at uh, Mario's repertoire, so... I just wanted the chance to talk about it, and I wanted to hear your thoughts on it because, I mean, you're you're a resident platform guy. Aye, oh, aye, it's uh, it's certainly decent. I mean, the the thing about this game is the one thing it suffers for is its age. The this was a launch title for uh, the Game Boy. Um, I, I remember you had a choice between Super Mario Land and Tetris at the time. That was sort of like the state of the, the handheld industry. So, so were, were these? I I think you might even be. I think they might have been the two pack-ins. I think, I think you could have bought aye. a Game Boy way Tetris or a Game Boy way Super aye, Mario Land. I think that was it. I think that uh, <clears throat> my cousin had one. I think they had both Tetris and Super Mario, man. But I remember at the time thinking, obviously I was a, a Sega guy. I had a Mega Drive. I never thinking playing Super Mario Land and thinking, fucking hell, man, this is brilliant. But it, it made controls. Um, it's very responsive. The physics are quite good. It's Mario you're playing, essentially. Yeah. There is some subtle differences, like if you play um, Super Mario 3 um, on the NES, or if you play Super Mario World on the SNES, it's kind of unfair comparison, because them games are so well polished, they were done by in-house Nintendo, me and mm. owner, whereas the Super Mario Land games were done by like, a third party, sort of like when, you know how like, people made like, Sonic Advance and all that, but it wasn't the Sonic team that made it, it was like, a third party. Yeah. I wanted to get a research that, but I, I, didn't, I didn't get around to it, like, is it yeah. Does, did the team have a sort of precedent? Did they make anything else? This this is the first Mario game ever that Shigze himself, Shigeru Miyamoto, had no fucking control over. Uh, he was not involved. Right. Um, um, there was, it's considered a completely different world, a different like, so, universe. Yes, this is, well, I mean, you're getting into a lore side of things now, but this is not set in the Mushroom Kingdom. This oh. is set in an area called Sarasaland. Yeah. Totally different characters. You know how you had um, you had different variants of Mario. You had like the the Brooklyn Western Mario, remember? And then you had like the the Mario who was Italian. Yeah. Was, so you... you've got different phases. I mean, because when we were wins when with the movie and the cartoon and and this, this was Mario was a, a Italian American guy with a Brooklyn uh, accent, wasn't he? It was it was only after sixty four that he got his kind of goofy Italian accent. Aye, and Princess Peach, um, the westernised version of Princess Peach was called Daisy. Well, she was called Daisy in Japan as well. Oh, really? Aye. Aye, aye. But I, I think the, the main difference um, in terms of aye, more between sort of Mario Land 1 and 2 was King Cooper's not in this one, like your main Bowser character. Aye, does, does, does nae King Cooper get Daisy instead of Peach? You're Peach, no in the Mushroom King. I mean, there's loads missing. This is, again, uh, uh, we'll, we'll mix in kind of technical aspects and lore. Get nae Cooper troopers in this, man. Fucking, um, purely because they they couldn't work out how to do that thing where 
you know, you jump on a shell and it fires away and comes back and that. Ah, that's um, stuff. So, I mean, so in, instead, you jump on the turtles and uh, they turn into a wee bomb. You need to run away and they blow up. So uh, the same thing with the, the fireball power up as well. The fireball kind of when you use it in in Mario on the NES, it kind of it bounces like kind of like a bouncy ball that does gravity to it. Whereas this yeah. one, it just kind of like bounces all across the screen, kind of diagonal lines. You bounce this off a flare. Right? So you you fire it down and then it kind of shoots back up. Um, but again, this is due to. They they meant to make everything as it was in the NES version. They wanted to have the turtle shells and the fireball and you know uh, mushrooms being the one up and things like that. But they fucking Aye. Uh, they couldn't well, work out how to do it, so they just did their best. I think they did eventually figure a lot of this, this stuff out with the sequel, which we'll maybe talk about Aye. towards Aye. the end. But as you say, it's a launch title. Like getting, they probably weren't very familiar with the hardware. But I, I'm still quite impressed with it though, because like the, I mean. Mario on the NES is, is brilliant, like, it's, it's quite basic, and this one, it's, it's even more basic, like, they've, they've had to take a lot of it out, but it still, still feels like Mario, it's still got all the things you know and love from Mario. Parts of it feels like Mario, the game's very much split up into two parts, there's a, there's the Mario platforming section, which has, I mean, it's a pretty, it's a pretty good approximation in NES version, to be honest, yeah. um, but the game does have quite an extensive Maybe a couple of levels, man. Um, there's uh, there's two sections. I there's there's two levels like this, man. As many as fucking two, and you might think that doesn't sound like many, but you're talking a quarter of the game. Game has, I think, is it twelve levels or something? Oh. Um, Four worlds, three levels each. Yeah, so I mean, two two whole levels out of twelve is is quite a lot, and I think it's. Right, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Is this the only Mario game that has these weird side-scrolling shuttle levels? The only 2D right. one, it's kind of the only thing I like, can think of that comes to it, it's like Yoshi, when you jump on Yoshi, but that's, I, I, I think, I, there's nothing to shoot him up there about Mario at all, I don't I, I, I can think of, only no. apart from this game, perhaps the sequel. And it, it gets two different vehicles in this, there's a, there's a, a submarine, submarine level, and, and then a, it's a, an airplane. A Jetson, a Jetson thing, aye. Aye. <laughs> man, I'll tell you what, right, if you've just got a Game Boy, right, and, and you, can, you can play games on it, go, oh, man, alright, it's a pure battery muncher, but... If you get this game, you get Mario on a go, man, at a time. It's fucking brilliant. If you look back at it now, you know, it's it's a wee, like, it's not much to look at. Uh, you get so many other options, man. I think Wario, Wario for the Game Boy was good, man. I can't remember playing that. It was funky. Well, game. this is, again, yes, this is the same series because Wario is Super Mario Land 3. Aye. Right, he was the, he he was introduced in Mario Land Two as the baddie, and then three you kind of play as him. So I so I sort of was like a precursor to Wario Land. So they kind of branched off into two different sections. Yeah, the Super Mario series, the Super Mario Land series, which became Wario. Yes, essentially. I, I so there you go. So broke into two different things. Another thing that's distinct about this game today, and I've been joking to talk about this because it's probably my favourite part about the game, <laughs> is. You know how in Mario you've got like a, a bunch of recurring tunes that always sort of... I mean, Mario's isn't very diverse musically, is it, when it comes to its main themes? Um, but this game... I mean, I think I think they are. I think they're just so ubiquitous at this point. They sound the same. They've got the same kind of... Because, like, I mean, everybody knows... Childish kind of AI, like, happy, up-tempo... Aye, ragtime, swing sort of sound to it. Aye. But in this, man, this... This, this is totally anything. Mick, I'm going to have to ask you to do your um, 
Bring him yes, over. Yes, and put in, please, uh, World <laughs> 2 slash 1, the best tune Master. in the game. Oh, I was going to say Masters of Funk, <laughs> Super Mario Land. Welcome and enter the center of my Super Mario adventure. My girl's trapped on the other side of town, so I'm moving and leaps and bound. Folks around my way think it's strange, but there's a villain to blame. Even my marshy thinks I'm crazy, but I got to rescue Daisy. Tune was a, a, a favourite of Andy's um, fucking back in back when we used to hang about in primary school. Aye, aye, that was, samples, that samples, that samples was, uh, the, the first level of Mario. Thing. It was like, um, aye, well, it was essentially right. This this band, the Masters of Funk, right? They were they weren't the real band. They were sort of taken by Nintendo. Um, by the white guy that owned the American branch of Nintendo, they wanted to do something with Vanilla Ice at the time. It was like kind of skateboarder, kind of funky, kind of break dancing, kind of zeitgeisty thing. It was going on at the time, and they brought <laughs> a, they brought two young black guys in to do a white kind of inspired rap. So you've got kind of black music with a non-urban spin on it, but with <laughs> people from urban <laughs> area. So it was all fucked up. And they only brought out three songs, never one of them were like Mario related. So were they a kind of a, a creation of Nintendo then? I, I just I, thought they, I just thought it was like a, a precursor to the, the sort of more recent tunes where you get rappers that are pure into video games rapping about video games, but this was a very fucking commercial thing. It's a pure piss tape man, like it's a pure two fingers to like NWA and all them brilliant fucking rap band, like hip hop artists in the early 90s, it's just up your two fingers. It was, a, it was a dichotomy of rap because you had like, you know, NWA and gangster rap on one side, but then you had like the very PG radio friendly um, Fresh Prince. Aye. <laughs> well, that, that was the music, man. That was, a, that was like a punk gay day, wasn't it? The, the, the hip hop artists had something to say. They were the proper music gay time, and this is just a pure like, way of looking at it that's just no hip hop at all. <laughs> you know? Um, uh, even even though you don't get any like of the you know iconic Mario tunes in this game, I I all the tunes are just bangers. So I, don't, I think there's like every every really tune on the soundtrack of this is great. So yeah, the melody I'm, on that uh, one one, the melody on that is so fucking infectious that when I think of Mario, the first tune I think of is fucking that tune uh, one one Mario Land. Yeah, I think it's kind of I think that probably tied in first place for me between that and the. The NES first tune, the most characters, and as, as Mick said, the um, the World Two one is a, a belter as well. That's a good one, too. Yeah, yeah. See the thing about kind of talking about the, the lore in the world of this, like some something kind of weirds me out a wee bit about the fact that the levels are based on real world places. You know, you get like, the, uh, Egyptian the, the, the Egyptian level and the kind of one with Easter Island heats and that. Like, <laughs> I always kind of imagine Mario sort of takes place in its its own wee self contained world. You know, like a complete fantasy land. So when they start bringing in parts of ancient Egypt and parts of East, like 
Easter Island and stuff like that. It's something, something a bit unsettling to me. The, the fourth level plays this... Um, it's like that fucking... I, I don't know what you call this melody, but in cartoons where suddenly it pans to China, it plays this little musical sting. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that. And it's like... Um, there's, a kinda, there's a whole Wikipedia article about it because like it's used as a kind of short, a musical shorthand for China, but no one really knows where it came from. Like It's not, it's not a Chinese melody. <laughs> Um, it's um it's it's used in the fourth world of this and there are those weird um hopping zombies from Chinese folklore. Um so I there's a whole China based level as well, it's very strange. Gotta remember too, I mean this game came out in nineteen eighty nine, you know what I mean? This is a game that came out in the fucking eighties. You know? <laughs> That's nearly as old as us, man. That's fucking saying something these days. See, but um See where like it's kinda of similar thing, like you know when they released that um uh, I forgot the name, but the Mario game that came out for the Switch, the one that everyone loves. Odyssey. Uh, Mario Odyssey, like, and the first thing they showed for that was, like, Mario cutting about something that looked pretty much exactly like New York City. And there was all these big skyscrapers. And he's cutting about next to, like, like normal-sized humans and, like, regular proportion humans. Aye, it's like a Sonic Adventure. Aye, but you've got Mario as, a, as the, you know, the weird dumpy Mario that you know and love. And I've seen that, and I just I think my brain just rejected. Like, no, I, I really don't like this. Like, Mario for me, you know, it's it's, it's not the day with the real world. <laughs> you kind of be doing this. So I think a theme in this game. Let's see if you look at the packaging, like the the packaging. It kind of looks like the strip, the slapped Mario on the front of a totally unrelated like game. Like you've got. Well, he's 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 in his vehicle on the front cover. Um, oh, at the bottom, hi. And you can actually see the fucking final boss on there as well. Aye. Um, Aye. The the main baddie of this one, rather than uh, King Koopa, as we were saying, is this weird wee alien guy called Tatanka. Aye, that's right, aye. And he's... You see Mario in a submarine, you see Mario running away for a lion, and you he's see fucking... Aye, he's trying to tank a flying in the background. One of the Chinese aye. zombies. Aye, it's a great pyramid of Giza in the background. And Mario when he's playing as well, and Daisy. This, this is another thing that fucking... That I've always, this is one of been, always been one of my favourite things about this. Um, and I was surprised that... Because I, I, it gave me a kind of false memory that this happened in other Mario games, but at Disney. Classic Mario, your, your NES Mario... You get uh, Sorry Mario, your princess is in another castle. In this, confusingly, every time you beat a world, Mario runs in and Daisy's there and she goes, Oh, Mario, and there's like love hearts. And then Daisy will turn into like a fly or a jellyfish <laughs> or just one of the baddies for that level and it'll play like a sinister music as she like jumps out of the screen. Yeah, it's a bit unsettling. But how about this? Like, you know how it's kind of. Oh, aye, Mario, you were about to kiss me, weren't you, Mario? Better you love me. <laughs> what? <laughs> Sorry, Andy, what were you saying? Aye, you know how it's like showing you like, places for planet Earth, essentially, like the pyramids, what we're saying, Easter Island, Heads, and whatever. Oh, maybe that's got me thinking that like, maybe uh, Mario the movie, which is one of the worst films ever made, <laughs> uh, apparently. But I love it. I think it's funny. I don't. But, I don't uh, even think it's in my fucking. It's it's not nearly one of the worst films I've seen. I no, it, I mean man, like, snobs will see it. It's but, shite, man. It's shite. But I've seen a lot of really shite. bad films. Aye, but it's, it's kind of. It's not even fucking... Like, what I mean, what, the point I'm trying to make is, like, is a possibility <laughs> that the film is linked to this game because it takes place on Brooklyn, planet Earth, and it's got all the skyscrapers and that in it. I'm kind of... What I'm alluding to here is 
I want to see, or I don't want to see, I kind of do, but I don't. <laughs> I want to see, like, I know you got Street Fighter, the movie, the game. Yes. I want, like, Mario, the movie, the game. <laughs> I bet that especially if it contains like none of the mechanics for Mario that you know it's just like uh, Mortal Kombat style characters man even like motion captured and that or it's like a fucking vision novel or something just completely completely different who was the actor that was in that was it Richard there Bob Hoskins was Mario, Hoskins. and then you had um, fuck. What was his name? John Leguizamo was Luigi. Oh, now the sorry. the deal breaker for me and why I disagree with you now is because sadly we can no longer get Dennis Hopper back ah, to play Dennis King Hopper. King Cooper. Right. Um, and as, as far as I'm concerned, they Dennis Hopper, they party. Ah, <laughs> uh, you need Dennis Hopper, man. Same way you couldn't have another Street Fighter for him because uh, big Marcus Marco Rubio. No, Raul Julia. Raul Julia. <laughs> Marco Rubio is a fucking right-wing politician. He unfortunately is still alive and kicking. <laughs> Easy done. For you, the day Marco Rubio came to your village was the worst day of your life. For me, it was Tuesday. Fucking hell, man. That's a blue ball to have. Quite ironic, that joke, isn't it? <laughs> Uh, I think I think the reason that this game is kind of fascinating is like it's is a thing that's been called early installment weirdness. So like, yes. see, you've got a long running series, yeah, a game, and it takes a wee while for the series to find its feet and go. Okay, so it's okay if you know Sonic. Maybe Sonic's a bad example because his fucking blows all over the place. But you know, you kind of get you get accepted. Uh, you get accepted understanding of what like um, what Mario is or about um, what he does. Um, what what makes sense for Mario? What what just is the Mario? What is the wrong vibes for Mario? And yeah, a lot of the stuff in this game, yeah, they hadn't figured that out yet. And it's it's just a bit. When you see when you're playing a Mario game, and then all of a sudden you see the Great Pyramid of Giza, it just gives you this sort of just pretty pretty strange feeling. But it's interesting. It's like a yeah, you've got you know shy guys. Um, Koopa Troopers um, Mario's got his own canon his own timeline but there will always be that time where he went to China right. and he flew a spaceship but he fought an alien <laughs> um, and that, that was on the Game Boy man right. <laughs> Wait, see, I, 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 did they film with dinosaurs in it was it, was it, was it David yes. dinosaurs it was a dinosaur supremacist society <laughs> um, the the kind of Koopa world that they went to it's a weird old film in it it's fucked up it kind of reminds me of the Power Rangers film. As, as well as the the hip-hop tune, if we can throw in a wee bit of World 2-1 uh, for this game. Aye, aye, of Because this was um, 
this was going to be one of my early shouts for something that we used as a theme tune or some kind of variant of this, like mixed about. We ended up using one of the worst tunes in Sonic 3, but kind of used to it by now. <laughs> Probably just made by uh, the world I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure like, the say, um, Nintendo's paramilitary squad would have like, yes. off this by now if they'd used one of their copyrighted tunes. Yeah, and Michael Jackson's deed, what's he gonna do? <laughs> he would have thrown the book at us. It's actually that's actually the reason why Sonic 3 isn't on any of the app stores, man, because the guy that run, owns the music is very arsy about fucking using it, so it may come to a point where they get a cease and desist if I ever get one bellviewer. <laughs> well, possibly. Um but yeah, um this is, a, this is a strange one. We've talked for about 20 minutes about this game and Nene has just had to explain what it is because it's fucking Mario in it. You, you know what it is if you're listening to us. Um, so, it's Mario, but less, but somehow more. It's <laughs> yeah. interesting if you're a fan of Wario games to see where it kind of started. It's like, and then it's, aye, it kind of took two different branches, didn't it? It went Wario, Mario, and this is the sort of beginning of I, I find the Game Boy ones more interesting. That whole uh, Wario branching series, I, I quite like. So, as as Mick was saying earlier, I, I can see us uh, revisiting this, this series at some point. But in the meantime, Andy, have you got any final thoughts? Is this a recommendation? What what do you think? Oh, um, oh, as I said, man, it's very time relative. It's a uh, game for the 80s, man. I've got fond memories playing the old Game Boy version and stuff. And, you know Nowadays, maybe you're better playing the second one, but I've, man, it's not. It's I mean, it was the first ever handheld platformer, and for that, it's got a place in video game history. I've got one final question: Why does Mario start every level in World Two by coming out of a UFO? Again, it it doesn't make. I I think right. Well, here's my hot take on Super Mario Land. I think Sarasa Land is just what they call Earth. <laughs> I think Mario's from a far-flung future, and he has travelled to Earth on a spaceship, and Daisy is one of the last surviving humans who has been menaced by an alien called Tatanka. Hence why there's not much human civilization left, but some of your great landmarks are there, the Easter Island Heads, the Pyramids of Giza, but nay, you know, nay buildings. Nay Malport. Nay Malport. <laughs> I done fucking pay to see that man Kickstarter Super Mario Milport <laughs> you got a wee bike level now <laughs> um, right well that brings us on to our final game of the evening Andy why don't you tell us why you picked Panzer Dragoon Saga am I right in saying uh, for McCormick aye so Panzer Dragoon Saga um, basically is um, Sega's answer to Final Fantasy 7 it's not very well known. Probably is nowadays, but about 20 years it wasn't very well known. Um, they only made about 20,000 copies of it. Um, and to play it, nowadays it's going to cost you maybe up to £500 to even get it, man. But thanks to the pirates of um, the internet, we've managed to find ways to play it. And it also took it, a further few, good few years until you could like so you reliably can... emulate it. Aye. But um, it's a sweeping story that fills the gaps from Panzer Dragoon 1 and 2. Um, it takes elements of the on-wheel shooter um, genre and meshes it in with a JRPG engine. So pa- Panzer Dragoon was not a role-playing game before this? No. Aye, so you, you, had, um, the, you had the Panzer Dragoon, was like, I think it was a launch title for the, the Saturn, 
And it was a it was an unreal shooter. The closest thing you could probably compare it to would be Lilac Wars, except instead of a kind of this kind of planets with these kind of anthropomorphic animals, you were flying through this very strange sort of like Science alien thing. alien world, slightly post apocalyptic world on the back of this giant dragon, um, and you were sort of sh- um, shooting at these strange and kind of alien creatures. I think they did like a lot of. A lot of kind of concept art and a lot of like background lore that they just kind of wrote in their spare time that but didn't necessarily make into the game, but it was kind of used to inspire this. I this think. Shooter. I think we've got a thematic link in this episode, by the way, in that when you think on it, all three of your games are a science fiction post-apocalypse. <laughs> in one way or another, they, they had all this, you know, this stuff crammed into yeah, a shooter, which was I've not actually played, but apparently, apparently, it's pretty good. I'll need, I'll need to revisit it. Um, and yeah, basically for the sequel, they wanted to just expand in that in that lore and turn it into a an RPG where you could maybe explore a bit more about the world and the the characters and all the kind of like um, amazing artwork they designed. They wanted a piece of the pie that Final Fantasy VII was getting essentially. Well, uh, Final Fantasy VII was a massive success in the West. I mean, you, you mentioned this being. Sega Saturn's answer to Final Fantasy VII. I guess that the main thing I kind of want to get across is how much it is not Final Fantasy VII, it's not, it's and how like I'm just I would probably compare these quite a lot of things with these games. Not saying one's better than another, but just to kind of highlight how different they are. How when like a traditional RPG would go take a right turn, this this game takes a left turn. It's just I it's it's just a very unique kind of package. It's different. It's it's not it's not quite an a GRPG in in a traditional sense. It has got all all the stuff you would expect. It's got all your items, special moves. It's got turn based battle system to a certain extent. Um, it's got like go for A to B stories laid out. It's more like reading a book than playing a an action game. So it's as it a GRPG, but there's the, the, just the the exploration aspect is different because you're on the back of a dragon. Some things are more in real time than you would normally expect for a GRPG. Like um, when you're flying about certain areas, you can sort of, in order to get power ups and stuff, you shoot things in real time in order to get things like potions and stuff like that. It's like it's a very dynamic GRPG in a way, kinetic. Aye, so like what I think one of the things we're trying to achieve with this is like obviously the game. It, it comes from as a an unreal shooter, and that's it, it's got this really satisfying mechanic in it. The first the first game where you hold down a button and you kind of paint the cursor across like a couple of different enemies, um, and then you let the, the button go and it fires these kind of arc and lasers um, that kind of have multiple enemies at the same time. If you've played Res, um, the exact same thing, Aye, um, yep, except exactly. that's obviously got the whole musical element to it, but. But in the kind of battle system for this game, they've tried to they've tried to take some of that stuff um, on board, even though it's still kind of it's it's like a it's like the ATB system in Final Fantasy six and seven and eight, um, where like um, a kind of bar a, a bar um, builds up, and then when the bar reaches the top, you use a move. Except in this, there's kind of three segments to the bar, um, but in between that time. You're moving your dragon about, like not not free motion, but you can kind of move to like four four, four sides, four segments, I four sides of the enemy, um, where you've been in front of them or behind them or to his side, and there's a wee kind of radar where like the um, the 
certain sections are green and certain sections are red. And if you're on the red segment, then you're, you're likely to get hit by a power of attack. But if you're on the green one, um, you're, you're, you're safe. But also, you need to be on the right side to get to the enemy's weak point. Um, so you can be in front, maybe the weak point is behind them, but also when you're there, you're, you're exposing yourself to... So if, if, you're on the red, if you're on the red section, you're safe from attacks. However, your propensity to attack them is also reduced. Aye. So are you fighting wave after wave of enemies, or is it mostly no. these kind of one-on-one battles that you do every so often? Or well, there's uh, random. It's random encounters are there, right? Random encounters are there. But this is what I'm saying. It's very different. Final Fantasy Seven. Final Fantasy Seven to some extent, even now, Final Fantasy games up to about twelve, you're bombarded with fucking random encounters. In this game, a, major, a, a, a common complaint about this game is that there's not enough random encounters. Uh, there's, there's not that many, but each one is each one's quite a kind of a self-contained thing. Like you, you do sometimes get you, you're fighting a couple of enemies or, or one enemy at a time, um, but sometimes when you defeat one, there's another another group comes straight at you like without any pause in between. So you're fighting a kind of series of them, um, and also like. Um, depending on kind of how well you did about about we get a rank, and um, based on yep. how much damage you've taken and how much damage you've done. So, so each we ones that'll be mini contest. Like you're trying to better yourself because you make it more money or more gold if you if you've mastered the system. So, so when you when you level up, are you picking attributes that you want to raise, or are level ups uh, just about everything? Or we this. you get a dragon, um, and you can at any point. You can go in and you can change your attributes of your dragon. If you want a dragon that attacks heavy, you want a dragon that defends heavy. If you want a dragon that focuses more on its magic, you can change your attributes any time in the form of bars. And obviously, as you level up, you get more points. I yeah. So like depending on the form that you've taken, um, you might level up and learn slightly different abilities um, based on which kind of which form you're in. Um, and it does that. I sent a wee video of that in the chat, but it's a really cool graphical effect because you can kind of morph between these different forms on like a right. continuum and the 3D model sort of like dynamically changes, changes. so like you know the, the agility dragon may be quite long and slender whereas you know um, a defensive one maybe 3D model changes to be a bit more like stocky um, and the kind so, of colours change as well and stuff so less on the technical side mm. get me get me into some of the story and the lore here are you are you the last dragon keeper in, in an evil world that's gone to hell, or what? what is the story of this? Uh, sorry, this is how I wanted to start things off, but Andy kind of took me in another direction. So, <laughs> um, I, so you, you play as a, a character called Edge, um, and Edge is, in terms of JRPG protagonist, quite a plain-looking film, I must say. He's not got mad hair or anything. He's got a boring Sega, as fuck name. He's got a boring name and a boring face and a terrible haircut. But um, he he works as a kind of security guard, I guess, at an archaeological site because it's a kind of post-apocalyptic world um, filled with monsters. And he is um, uh, he's sort of defending this archaeological site against uh, incursion. And he's there with this guy, his boss, who's kind of like an adopted father to him. And it's a kind of it's a world that's like there, there used to be this incredible technological civilization that could do all these incredible things but that civilization has fallen and they kind of some of the, the leftovers of, of the work they did they worked on like biotechnology 
and now the world is kind of overrun with their creations, which are these horrible monsters. The most powerful of those monsters being the dragon. So the world is 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 quite kind of barren and desolate. There's a lot of monsters kicking about, but there's a kind of successor state um, to the that ancient civilization called the Empire, and they've kind of used some of their technology to sort of take over the world. Basically, they don't really understand the technology necessarily, um, but they're the ones that have access to it. And they've kind of sponsored this dig site um, to kind of unearth new uh, ancient technology. Um, so you're kind of working there, and all of a sudden, this guy rocks up with a, a big sort of warship, um, and one of these flunkies like kills your your adopted father. In this case, a guy called Kremen. And Kremen, like he's um, <laughs> no, I know, I know him. He lives next door to Jerry Seinfeld. He's always a uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Kramer, uh, he <laughs> he, I guess, uh, was a high up position in the government. You don't learn a whole lot of his background, but he's sort of launching a coup against the empire and he um, he wants this ancient technology to kind of help him fight it so he finds this kind of this girl that was trapped underneath this um, underneath this ancient installation and he wants to use her to gain access to an artifact called the tower and the tower has the ability to destroy the world or in brackets or so you think <laughs> so you're basically you're trying to get your revenge on Kremen um because he killed, he killed somebody that was close to you. Um, in, in the process of running away from him, you find this dragon and you bond with this dragon. Um, so his, you know, your will is his, and you get to fly a bit on it. You can kind of use that that newfound power to um, to kind of challenge this guy Kraven, but also the Empire as well, because they're the Empire after him also. I, I basically love stuff like this, like um, kind of like ancient technology that you don't understand. Technology that could possibly be magic and stuff like that. Like I was, I was sold instantly on that that side of it. Aye, it, it sounds like fucking post-apocalyptic Peach Dragon. Like sold. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. And like the setting as well. Like you're you're in this kind of backwater part um, of the empire. You know, and the the kind of environs of this this tower. So like, there's no big cities around. You see the capital of the empire in one cutscene, and it get, it gets destroyed. All the game takes place in this kind of. Yeah, it's a kind of bad war, but which is a wee bit like in Tatooine and Star Wars. Um, yeah. It's like the frontier kind of, um, so that's quite cool as well. Um, and like there's um, various kind of settlements um, and yeah, like kind of like nomads kind of going across the desert and stuff like that. I mean, um, skip skip ahead anybody who quite fancies this and does not want plot spoilers. I'm probably not going to play it anytime soon myself, so I want to know. Does this lead to the? I mean, the the, the Star Wars trope. If you're talking about Tatooine, is your um, is Edge uh, going to rise up against the Empire and eventually bring them down? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of spoil the kind of broad the, the broad strokes of the plot. He's not particularly interested in taking down the Empire so much as it's more personal um, about Kremen. He's kind of dragging him down, and he eventually finds out the truth about this girl uh, Azel who. She she also is a dragon, um, and she's kind of um, because Craven set her free. She's kind of obligated to do what he wants to do, and he wants to basically take this this tower and use it to usurp the empire. Um, you find out towards the end that Craven um, doesn't necessarily want to destroy everything. Um, he is kind of he's realised that the, the tower was used to kind of it controls these monsters, and the monsters weren't a they're not just rampaging across the world. Like there, there was an ecological collapse, basically. And these monsters are like bi- biological creatures that are sort of keeping the 
keeping the ecosystem in check. Um, so they kind of need to be there, otherwise the world would be like even more fucked than it is currently. But in the kind of process of that happening, um, the Empire invades this tower, um, there's a bit of chaos, and then all these fucking dragons got unleashed um, and basically fuck everything up, like destroy the fleet and stuff like that. So the Empire does end up, you know, getting effectively destroyed, um, but not not... Not intentionally. Sounds a bit like in uh, Final Fantasy VI, where they... Sorry, I'm spoiling everything tonight. Um, <laughs> they, uh, they let the espers out of the gate, and they immediately fly to the Imperial capital and just carpet bomb it. Yeah, like. well, ruthless. But uh, what... In some ways, it is quite a kind of, like, sweet story with high stakes, but also, like, in, in comparison to a lot of RPGs, the scope is reasonably limited. Like, as I say, you're in this kind of backwater part of the world. There's not hundreds and hundreds of tunes. Um, there's one... There's, like two major RPG style towns um, in some very small kind of settlements that you can wander about in um, the game so it all takes place in this one part of the world the game is also quite short in comparison to a lot, a lot of RPGs at the time yeah, when this game came in it had four discs I was expecting a fucking 60 hour epic it took me about 15 hours to play um, oh. And that's not a slight on the game because I, I, I think that's to be honest, like, I think a lot of games outstayed are welcome, and I thought that was plenty. See, that's the thing. See, Panther Dragon Saga, right? Um, it's the reason. One of the reasons why it's popular is because it's rarity, right? Um, as well as my own as that sounds. Um, but another reason is because, as you say, the uniqueness, the structure of the game, as a JRPG. But there's a lot of things that make it not conventional. So, I- in the battle system, they've tried to capture like the, the feel of a um, a shooter, um, even though it's even though it's not one. And like even the kind of like, the, the way you shoot things, you've got kind of like a, um, you've got a, a gun that you hold, and also the laser of the dragon fires, and it's it's like fires loads and loads of bullets, and you can see the damage that each one's doing. Like they've managed to do something quite like impressive, where it kind of feel it just feels much more actiony and much more dynamic. With the graphics. Oh, do you think they filled up the a bit? Well, the, the graphics as well, like, and I think this kind of ties in with maybe the reason that it's a bit, a bit shorter than we expect for that many discs. Like, you look at games for the PlayStation to the time, your big RPGs, what you generally had were 3D models and pre-rendered backgrounds, or the opposite, where you had, like, sprites, but 3D backgrounds. This game is entirely 3D. 3D, yep. So, you know, when... And your dungeons and stuff, you're kind of um, you're going to put on the back of your, your dragon, but it's a big kind of expansive, the big open areas, obviously, because you're flying about. And it's entirely in, in 3D, and like, it's definitely dated. I think that the draw distance is pretty bad. Some things can maybe do with a wee bit more definition to them. Water but effects are awful. The, the water that I there's one particular level which is, I think, like, the whole art design is pretty cool, but the water gives you a bit of a headache. <laughs> looking at, looking at it for too long. Bosses, the uh, bosses remind me a lot of it, like huge scale. Um, but, but as if I, it's as if a lot of design has been into like, the enemies in this game, um, at the expense of the, the sort of surroundings. If that well, makes any sense. What what I would kind of say is that, it's, and, and I think you kind of either love or hate this. I, I personally love it, but it, it's like because it came out on the Saturn, which was you no know, like first generation of three D consoles didn't have a lot of graphical power could have pushed out a whole lot of polygons but I think it works in this game's favour because this game is all about this strange alien world like see if, see if you're looking at a creature and it's only got like 12 polygons to its name and it moves in a really weird and shitty way 
it like you're looking at it and going, what the fuck is that? Like, what is that meant to be? But in this game, you know, if it's meant to be a fucking like a Ford Focus, and it, you kind of tell what it is, then the game's probably failed. But if it's meant to be a bizarre alien creature that you've never seen before, then it works. <laughs> like, I, I, I like it. And yeah, Mick, like, I suppose, like, I'm possibly trying to sell it to you because I think you would quite like it. I think it is, it, it's, it's one of the games that I quite like, which is like a, just a quirky, strange, unusual RPG. I like the sound of the mechanics and the narratively, I like um, an interesting world, but I don't necessarily like feeling like the most important person in that world. I quite like a micro story where I'm doing my own fucking thing and that stuff's all set dressing that I can look into as much as I like. Aye. One of the things the developers of the game said was that they wanted a, a relatively small cast of characters, but they all had quite fleshed out motivations and a lot of dialogue like it is like that it's, there's, there's only a few really characters in it but they are all quite good like Crane and the body. I feel quite con- conflicted because at some points he feels more like a baddie and some points he feels more like a good guy like he has you, you can kind of sympathise with his motivations sometimes he's my, he's my favourite character I've, I've not played it yet <laughs> but I, I like I like Crane the best there's also the, the, the marvel- marvellously named Gash there's another character you meet <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Gash is a he's a head of this group called the Seagulls um, they basically is sort of is, uh, is Wee Burnley in it as well? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, they, they kind of they go about the earth trying to sort of like find um, uh, you know find ancient technology and kind of they're the ones that really have a better sort of understanding of, of, of this tech than anyone else does like one of the um, you, you read that a lot of the, the plot comes with the sort of diaries that you pick up and like you know bits of bits of text and that which I quite like kind of like your old audio logs. Um, Aye. But a kind of theme a theme that they kind of come up with is that like because this technology is so ancient that and its creators have been lost to time, then everyone's got their own sort of like you know views on what it is and their their worldview kind of shapes how they how they see it. So you've got the empire which basically thinks that. Um, they, these things were but the gifts of the gods and, and the empire is doing gods well by finding them um, whereas you've got um, the kind of people living in these bad cartoons thinking that this technology has worked to the devil um, because all, all they've seen of it is the fucking the devastation it can cause and the seekers are in the middle basically saying no it's neither good or evil it's just science <laughs> so yeah I think like he deals with these kind of sort of weighty themes um, Really, also, really good. the game feels like a dream. Yeah, the, the whole kind of it's got a, a kind of mel- melancholic sort of like vibe to it. Or, I don't know, maybe not even melancholic, but like austere. I guess you might say. Like it doesn't, it doesn't. It plays the cards quite close. It's just and just the yeah, the, the look of it is very, very strange. The music's quite kind of ambient. Or that doesn't it? Yeah, like sweeping orchestral score in. I think it just all kind of it, it all kind of builds up to kind of be like more than the. Uh, some of its parts really like all, all these different strange elements kind of kind of work together well the spiritual success of this game is I don't know if you've played Sky's Arcadia see yes. I, I don't I don't know they're both RPGs and they're both set in the sky I think the vibe I think the vibe is very different between both games same company same developers oh, really? I think I think um, Mac we we played through Skies of Arcadia, right? But we did not get to any of the points with ship combat. 
we didn't get an airship fight on the go, and I'm wondering if the airship fights play a bit like uh, Panzer Dragoon Saga. I was, yeah, I, I did play the, the, um, the airship at a Sky's Arcade, but I didn't get, I've got a wee bit further than you, but not very much past that. I think that they are just kind of shared elements there. The thing I kind of like about the airship sort of the, the dragon fighting is, is it's like, you know, if you're playing like Final Fantasy VII or something, the battle system, it could be 2D and you wouldn't lose anything. Like, it could be just like, you know, your character's on one side of the screen, the body's on the other side of the screen, um, and it would play exactly the same. Whereas this kind of makes this this kind of makes the most of it actually being three D because you're navigating around things and like um it does it, it kind of does kind of cool things but like you know there's I mean, like the, the, the weak points are on the back of the enemy and stuff like that and you can just objects that move around in three D affect the, the battles. It sounds a lot more gamified because you say the battle system of Final Fantasy VII could be two D. The battle system of Final Fantasy VII could actually be done. With dice and pencil and paper, yeah. like really, if you wanted to boil it down that much, like um, you don't really need a controller for anything when you get down to the nitty gritty. Okay, you would maybe need books and books to fucking explain how everything works, but no, uh, this is it sounds a lot more actiony and gamified in in the battle system. Yeah, and I kind of I, I, I did quite like three shows. I like um, um I like all real shows. I'm a big fan of Res and stuff like that. So the fact that it kind of takes in an, an element of that. Um, it's, it's, it's pretty appealing to me. Also got a Sega vibe. Uh, it's kind of weird, kind of dreamy. Cy- Cyber Elf, there you say? Aye, <laughs> cyber. Post-apocalyptic Cyber Sega Elf. Um, <laughs> yeah. The music in it, so I love the music in this, man. See, the moment there's a song in it, it's, it's a tune in it. It's uh, just a synth. And it kind of reminds me of, like, I don't know if you've ever heard that one, Des Martin, no. But, eh, uh, they play a synth piece in it, man. It's fucking brilliant, and it it's it just if, if there's one if there's one thing I, I could if there's one song I could some Sega up between ninety five ninety six and a music production it would be a song. I'll send it to Mick if I can find it. <laughs> yeah, if you, if you remember his name, we'll try and edit it in. The soundtrack is like um, it's a lot of kind of um, you know, um, synthesizer, like atmospheric synthesizers. There's a lot of drumming, like um, kind of I guess. Like, Tribal sounding percussion. Apologies, that's not particularly PC. I was, I was lost with the word, the right word to use, but kind of like yeah, um, sort of global sound, sort of sounding percussion in that. Um, I didn't think that I loved the soundtrack, but now like you know, I keep, I do keep getting certain tunes stuck in my head for it. Um, but I like I just ever everything feels very, very considered. Like they, they kind of everything just thought, how is this going to affect the kind of mood, um, and the tone that we're after. Um, and it all works very well together. It's kind of it's weird as well. It's like, this game, and there's other games, sort of, a few, because there wasn't many copies of it, because we went through a big period where you couldn't emulate it, this game's kind of sat in limbo for years and years. Now you heard second-hand stories and people were lucky enough to have a game back in the day. But to play it, to actually be, have a, a chance to play it, man, it's like a kind of event for me, man. I've been trying to play this game for years to the point where I've been... I'm quite surprised that no Sega have gone past the point of dipping their toe into the water of the Steam market. They're kind of wading about in the Steam market now. Sega are kind of a player on that. I'm wondering why they're not attempting to maybe ah, do some kind of PC port. They can um, they force the source code. That's another thing about this game. They would need to get a team into back engine. 
back engineers are right. Reverse engineer, aye. Which is hard going. Aye, it's expensive process and stuff. And as you said, how many people are Panzer Dragoon fans in 2020? They did um, they, they done a remake of the, the first one for the Switch. Um, it just came out recently, but I don't know. Like, I, I don't love the art style of it. I think something's a bit lost to that. Like, as it was a game that came out for the Xbox, Panzer Dragoon Order. Aye, for three six the original Xbox. I think I was spoiled. Honestly, I think I've been spoiled with Unreal Shooters. Wild Wars, man, was just I think that's to this day still the best one. So. Okay, all, all so that, when you say when you say this is popular, is it it's cult popularity? I guess. Aye. Say big Sega, he it's Sega, he'd love it. Aye, they'll always overstate it. It's like people will say Final Fantasy VII is their favourite RPG first era, but the people that love Sega will say, no, 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 hold on, Panzer Saga. No, it's just a sort of one that they've got that hat in. But to be honest with you, it's a unique, a unique game. It sounds to me kind of. I know what you're saying that they they wanted their own. They wanted their systems Final Fantasy VII killer. They wanted oh you want Final Fantasy VII players instead. But to me it sounds a wee bit reductive to even fucking compare them. Ah, sounds well, a wee bit like apples and oranges. You know what I mean? Point. I think that's many fans. I think you know what you're probably right. It's probably just many an internet thing over the years. But sort of developed. I mean, you had Shining Force not on a certain you know, but so. I don't think they would have been desperate to have, like, I think if you're looking for a big 40 hour RPG, you had um, Grandia and Shining Force. I mean, they, they do it with Ocarina of Time and Final Fantasy VII as well, whereas they are fucking completely different Aye, games and all. It's just a kind of, it's just a, a weird kind of thing that, that, that gamers seem to do. I think it extends for the time where, you know, you can maybe only afford one console, and therefore, you know, if you've got a, an S64 and you're loving Ocarina of Time, and one of your mates has got a PlayStation and they've got Final Fantasy 7 you're like Final Fantasy 7 shite Ogarina I think is much better whereas you know so in fact, you never had any RPGs you know, on the N64 either the, the apart world, from uh, the obvious yeah but I mean like there was a better place for having for having both of them and I think that's kind of what I would I would try and sum this this game up like it's like it's I mean if you do like RPGs don't go into this expecting a game very much like Final Fantasy 7 or, or 8 or 9 or um or a, a Dragon Quest or anything like that. It's it's its own thing. It's it goes in a lot of different directions. And if you like RPGs, I think you'll be quite interested and pleasantly surprised that the in the in the kind of strange places it does take the genre. I always thought I had Final Fantasy had been like a book with several chapters. Like some some when you play Final Fantasy. Like sometimes you feel like you've fucking played about ten games by the time you're anywhere near the end. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like it's, um, everything's all put up into sections, and and then like you might have a pure like formidable body in the first chapter, and then by chapter five you just see him like standing outside a pub like he's just an NPC. But but in this game it's just it's more like a cohesive story for A to B into it. It's like maybe a, but there's not so much of that going on. I think maybe one of the greatest compliments you could have played paid rather an RPG in the nineties is that. It's nothing like Final Fantasy or Dragon Quest because uh, everything else was trying to be that. So the fact that it went out and did its same thing sounds pretty fucking cool to me. Much like something like Earthbound, I think stands on its own amongst NES RPGs. I would say this um, this game, despite having a, a very different tone um, and just overall vibe to Earthbound, it it stands on its own um, in, in that se- in that sense. Mechanically, but it diverse. Like mechanics from an RPG point of view, kind of like Shemu in a way, where it's like a mishmash of this and a wee bit of that, and but it's still an RPG at heart. You know? 
Well, we have hit the Shenmue line, gents, so that means it's time to wrap up. Um, I mean, are, 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 are um, the final thoughts all covered? Do you think you've said everything you want to say about it? Just the fact that it's a, it's, it's a definite recommendation for me. If you like RPGs, but you're also open-minded about what an RPG is, um, get this, get get a Saturn emulator downloaded, play this. Do not buy it under any circumstances. No, don't buy it, man. Unless you're fucking Elon Musk or... Bill Gates are Richie Rich, like there's no point. Um, yeah. But yeah, get it downloaded, get it played, you enjoy it. Or maybe fucking uh, treat yourself with a demo disc, which I think is still about 40 quid. Well, <laughs> if anybody wants to donate, donate a copy to Pans Dragoon Saga, to Dynamite Neddy, then oh fucking go ahead man. I love that man that would make my fucking year chance and bastard <laughs> the, uh, right we'll do our games for next time McCormick for you next time I've got less of the fantastic visual presentation and a lot more of something that looks like teletext I want you to play 1988's uh, Hidden Agenda which is a political simulation game about taking control of a fictional Central American Republic post-revolution, pointing your own cabinet and, and taking care of their issues. Yeah, that's, that's your game for next It's time. been a wee while since I've been able to hit out with any fucking Stephen Marxist hot takes. So I'm looking forward <laughs> to this one. Um, Andy, I'm giving you a game that is in some ways a retro game, but in some ways a very new game. It's, it's a retro game that's only recently been discovered. The ROM has only recently fucking... Um, come out with the ether. It's a prototype of uh, Akira on the Sega Mega Drive. We're going to make a game um, based on the anime Akira, um, but it got shelved. Um, and I think it's nearly finished, but the ROM is available and playable. So I'm going to play it and see how it feels. Uh, and be a good chance to talk about um, classic anime. That sounds good, man. Cool. Love Akira. I've actually not seen it in ages, man. Be Tetsuo. Aye, it's just for me to rewatch it, really. Right, okay. Um, quality. I'm going to give you what you like, mate. I'm going to give you what you like. A sequel to Sega CD's uh, Snatcher. Yeah. Uh, called Police Knots. It's a Hideo Kojima game. And it's, um, um, it's I think it's our first for a, into an actual fucking Hideo Kojima game on the fucking podcast. Nice. So, it's, it's quite a weird one. It's not one of these better known ones, is it? It's a... Uh, Three Metal Gear Solid. It's a graphic novel. It's. Ooh, I, I, I like. Uh, I like playing detective, so I anticipate that I'll enjoy this one a lot. Right. Cool. Right. There we go. We've got our games. Happy days. So we're going to look into doing another board. Yep, uh, we'll, we'll do that behind the scenes. If you would like to play on our quiz show and be in with a chance of winning fucking, I don't know, a pack of Space Raiders, um, please do get in touch on Facebook or Twitter or messages or something on whatever fucking thing. I will personally buy a t shirt for the winner. A dynamite the t shirt. <laughs> right, there you go. And we've got a BJ for the biggest story wanted. Bye. 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 We'll, we'll play there. I'm not even making a golden axe joke, right? That's so 2020. We're in a new year now. Let's find something. There's no context for that. I, I, I get a gammy off a big fucking giant stone head, but it was no golden axe. Like, they, it, it's got to the point where it no longer has any fucking relevance. Let's <laughs> make golden axe where it belongs. Mega Games 2. Right. <laughs> See you later.